0: Welcome to Politics Weekly Extra. I'm David Smith, filling in for Jonathan Friedland. I don't have a fancy microphone like he does, but I certainly have an interesting topic to bring you.
1: Adding DC statehood and adding a state should not be about politics. It's about equality. It's about democracy.
0: If you're a big fan of drama series centered around the US government, You'll often watch scenes where grandiose music accompanies overhead footage of the Lincoln Memorial, Washington Monument, White House, and of course the Capitol Building, with its celebrated dome as well as the steps that lawmakers climb to ensure democracy continues to thrive in America. That's why it's baffling to many that the place where democracy is meant to be upheld is located in a rather undemocratic location, at least for the people who live there. Washington, D.C.'s population has been bigger than Wyoming's for that state's entire existence. Its residents pay more in total federal taxes than the residents of 22 other states. And yet the more than 700,000 residents of the District of Columbia remain essentially disenfranchised with no voting representation in either chamber of Congress. Last week, both sides of the D.C. statehood debate put forward their arguments at a hearing before the House Committee on Oversight and Reform. Democrats plan to put a statehood bill up for a vote on the House floor before the summer. But there are snags. Mainly Republicans who don't want to see their opponents' vote share increase.
1: Today's hearing is all about creating two new Democratic U.S. Senate seats.
0: So, to discuss this ongoing debate, I wanted to talk to Stasha Rhodes campaign director for the organization 51 for 51, which is pushing for equal representation rights for D.C. I started off by asking her to give me a bit of a history lesson. We've all grown up knowing there were 50 states, and Stasha explained why Washington, D.C. isn't one of them.
1: So D.C. statehood is a 200-year-old fight. You know, D.C., residents have lacked representation in Congress since the passage of what is called the Organic Act in 1801, uh, which placed the district under Congress's control and stripped their representation in Congress. Before that, D.C. residents could vote in either Maryland or Virginia. Uh, The sort of momentum for D.C. electoral representation first gained real traction during the Civil Rights Movement, um, at the time, DC was 65% white and fairly evenly split in terms of party, uh, which gave both parties an incentive to enfranchise residents. Uh, and then, really, enfranchisement stopped there because by 1970, over 70% of DC was black. There's some argument that basically DC started as kind of the seat of federal power, uh, wanted to make sure that it was uh, non biased and was the place where all of our. Kind of federal government g- came to sort of establish and, and maintain democracy. But over time, that changed because representation, well, increase in population sort of demanded representation. The, the Constitution requires that all uh, citizens have representation in Congress. Uh, and so now here we are over 200 years later with over 700,000 people in Washington, D.C. who lack representation.
0: And until um, the 1960s, I believe they couldn't even vote in presidential elections.
1: That's right. No, that's exactly right. And and there there's been there's been a number of versions of this fight. Adding home rule, so giving giving local governments the opportunity uh, to to develop laws and policies, like having a mayor and a city council, uh, and then of course adding the ability to, to to vote for the president. But still, we we, we lack the most important piece here. Um, which is to have representation and voice in Congress. And I think, you know, often this conversation has been centered on the fact that just the representation side, but I think an interesting piece here as well is the fact that residents of Washington, D.C. elect their council members and their mayor, and then in turn, the council member and mayor are under congressional authority, which means they can overturn any law or policy that the mayor and council enact. Which is unlike any other place in our country.
0: And uh, have we seen some negative consequences from that in terms of uh, the riot on January the sixth at the U.S. Capitol, or some people even saying now the slow pace of vaccinations um, in the District of Columbia um, are, are people paying a price for the local government, the mayor being in charge instead of it being a full state?
1: Yeah, I think we look. We've seen this. We, we've seen this in recent time, but most notably the. January 6th insurrection. I continue to urge all Washingtonians to stay home and stay calm. And if you see something, say something. But above all, stay home. Uh, where the mayor was unable to call in the National Guard troops to protect her residents. Uh, because unlike governors across the country, she has no authority over the National Guard. She had to wait for uh, the president and the Department of Defense to say yes to it. They originally denied her request, so she was unable to act. You know, looking back, there's been a lot of examples. But one that comes to mind in reproductive rights uh, in, in, I believe, 2014, the D.C. City Council passed the Reproductive Health Non-Discrimination Act. Uh, its goal was to protect workers from discrimination by an employer based on the individual's sort of health decisions. And Texas Senator Ted Cruz was convinced Uh, that this was a bad idea. Uh, So he worked with other Republicans to help uh, try to overturn the D.C. law. And it was the first time really in 30 years the House voted to outright overturn the will of the people in D.C. Uh, And it was an effort driven by one senator who is from a thousand miles away from Washington, really disconnected from the people in D.C.
0: And to take another example, I believe D.C. residents actually passed a referendum to legalize marijuana in 2014. But members of Congress use their control over the D.C. budget and affairs to continue to prevent the legalization of marijuana sales.
1: It's such an ironic thing to say that democracy doesn't exist in in the Capitol. Uh, It it is the very seat of our government. It's where uh, federal laws are made. It is where we like to wax poetic about how strong our democracy is. Yet there are over 700,000 mostly black and brown people who are locked out of the very democracy that surrounds them.
0: And people drive around DC with car license plates that say "taxation without representation," and of course a f- phrase uh, we remember for the American colonists uh, protesting against the British Empire imposing taxes that didn't come with any rights of self determination for for British colonies.
1: That's right. It's you know this fight has, has taken on a lot of different meanings for a number of different people. You know we like to think about the fact that democracy is something that we pride uh, and and believe in, but yet we sort of value the story of democracy over the work it takes to keep keep a democracy strong. I think the race element here is is really key. You know, D.C.'s population uh, is 46% Black. If D.C. is granted statehood, it would be the only state in the nation to have a plurality of Black residents. And so it is a sort of peculiar denial of voting rights. As we ramp up our conversations of voting rights in this country, we're working to ensure that folks don't forget the fact that residents of Washington, D.C. are disenfranchised.
0: Do you think that explains the Republican opposition to it?
1: Oh, I think absolutely. I I think that, you know, certainly Republicans are interested in ensuring that Democrats don't pick up two additional seats. D.C. statehood is a key part of the radical leftist agenda to reshape America, along with the Green New Deal, defunding the police and packing the U.S. Supreme Court. If D.C. You know, were to become a state, the, the plurality of, of black residents would ensure that maybe we'd have two black or brown members of the Senate. There have only been 11 black senators in our nation's history, 11. And, and this lack of political representation has a real consequence for, for legislation.
0: Yes, Wyoming is smaller than Washington by population, but it has three times as many workers in mining, logging, and construction, and 10 times as many workers in manufacturing. In other words, Wyoming is a well-rounded, working-class state.
1: We've sat around listening to uh, Republicans say things like, uh, they're not well-rounded citizens in Washington, D.C. They aren't enough loggers and factory workers in D.C., in truth, these are these are, this is coded language. Uh, imagine being a, a nurse who's been on the front lines of fighting coronavirus for the past year and a half or so, uh, and and hearing that you're not a well-rounded citizen, uh, worthy to to have a vote in Congress. Um, that that's what we're dealing with in this fight.
0: And this is not the first time that people have debated statehood, is this, or that it's it's been pushed for? But I wonder, do you think that? The police killing of George Floyd in Minneapolis, the uh, Black Lives Matter protests we saw in Washington and elsewhere really means uh, this is an argument whose time has come. Um, Has that uh, really fueled the demands for uh, D.C. statehood?
1: Absolutely. You know, what's important to note is that they didn't take to the streets just to protest racism in policing and criminal justice. It's not the only place racism exists across our country. We've been talking about the fact that racism is embedded in our very democratic principles. Put simply, they want the same rights and privileges that all Americans across our country enjoy. Uh, And we believe that this fight is rooted in racism. And what can we learn
0: from previous states that uh, fought and eventually won in this battle, such as uh, Hawaii?
1: Yeah, look, I think that During that time, segregationists didn't want to admit Hawaii and New Mexico into the Union because their populations were majority people of color, just like D.C. Uh, And and so I think what we've learned uh, is to be upfront about the injustice and, and to ensure that we're being honest about what's happening in Washington. I think that right now, with Democrats taking control of the White House and the Senate and the U.S. House, we have a real opportunity to end this injustice. Uh, And really put forth a robust, comprehensive case uh, about why this is a social justice issue and not purely a Washington partisan uh, power grab, uh, but really about equity and and civil rights. D.C. would be the only state, the only state without an airport, without a car dealership, without a capital city, without a landfill. We've seen uh, folks like Mitch McConnell and Donald Trump and Tom Cotton uh, and a number of other prominent Republicans make just bogus arguments against enfranchising residents of D.C., whether it's the fact that they don't have enough car dealerships uh, or, or that they're able to put yard signs and, and that shows their political power. It's all been incredibly bogus. Uh, and I think that the weakening of their arguments over time have shown that our case is bolder, stronger, uh, and more relevant than ever.
0: Now, the point about car dealerships, which was eventually debunked, it turned out DC does have a car dealership anyway. Not that it should matter, and but in that that all, there was also the argument made about um, DC doesn't have its own airport. This all came up um, last week during a House uh, Oversight Committee hearing uh, last summer. The House of Representatives passed a bill giving the District of Columbia the potential to become a state. Back then, Trump said he would veto it if it ever made its way to his desk. But there's now a a Democratic sheriff in town. Uh, President Biden announced his support for the cause and even had 51 star flags flying on Pennsylvania Avenue. Um, How significant is it to have the support of the White House?
1: Tremendously. I think we're more confident than ever that we can actually make D.C. statehood a reality. Uh, I, I think that it's amazing to hear President Biden consistently show his support for Washington, D.C. statehood. Uh, it's, it's it's moving to have uh, senators uh, talk about the importance of voting rights, including D.C. statehood. It's our time now. I think the other thing that's really important to note here that has changed within the past five years is the conversation around the Senate filibuster. You know, the, the filibuster has stood in the way of very popular bills across the country, but it's also stood in the way of civil rights legislation. Uh, And so we believe that a simple majority vote uh, for DC statehood is the only path uh, so that we don't have to have 60 senators to uh, make this a reality. And so we're we're confident that this is our time and, and we're excited that soon we will be able to add another star to the flag. What this bill does is it seeks to
0: shrink the city of D.C. into a tiny city and then. Create and just to go back to that um, hearing, what, what other arguments did you hear Republicans make? Um, obviously, some of it was about the nature of D.C. and how, how small it is, or constitutionally, it should be part of the federal government, um, they argued. I mean, did, did any of those arguments uh, hold water, do you think?
1: No, I don't think so. I think some of the ones that uh, they they led with besides beauties like the car dealership was whether or not granting D.C. statehood uh, is constitutional. What multiple constitutional law scholars have concluded in their own words is that uh, D.C. statehood, this particular bill is constitutional because it still uh, allows for a federal seat so basically it carves out the monuments and the Capitol uh and and the white house and the area outside of that becomes uh the state uh and and so i think that that's one of the pieces i think there's some uh, retrocession arguments which would mean dc joining maryland or virginia an overwhelming 86 percent of dc residents have voted to become a state. Retrocession is only sort of furthering the more than 200 years of erasure of the the black and brown people of DC.
0: And you touched on the point about, um, some argue, DC should simply merge into Maryland or Virginia. I mean, what do you think about that view that um, as a landmass, it is so small, um, so tiny, compared to a state such as Texas or California? Does it really deserve Two senators, just just like those uh, states.
1: Yeah, I mean, look, if 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 because California and Texas uh, has large land mass and it means that other states should suffer, uh, then then we should be looking at Iowa and New Hampshire and Vermont and Wyoming. Uh, maybe we should be thinking about pulling back their their representation if that's the bar. And, and that's certainly not the bar. It doesn't matter. There's nothing in the Constitution that says. Uh, the population number to become a state should be X. What American democracy requires is that if you are an American citizen, then you are guaranteed certain rights. And that has been left out for Washington, D.C. residents.
0: There's no denying that in enfranchising places like D.C. or or indeed Puerto Rico, the Democrats would be gaining more representation. um, If just look at the Last presidential election, uh, Joe Biden got 92% of the vote in D.C. Donald Trump got just over 5%. Democrats would argue that Republicans, instead of trying to shut down voting rights for fear of losing, should look at why they wouldn't win in those places and try to address those issues. It's hard when American politics is so partisan these days, but how would you calmly make your case to Republicans who aren't budging on this?
1: I'm quite frankly not interested in convincing Republicans be, because if you need to be convinced that voting rights is important and essential uh, to American citizenship, uh, then then you have the wrong job. Uh, I welcome their support and, and hope that they get on board, uh, but we are also realistic in the fact that they have been working to uh, reduce voting rights uh, across the country. I think one thing that sometimes gets left out of the conversation about, well, this would just give them two more seats the fact is the American U.S. Senate is, is just truly broken. There's a 50-50 split right now, uh, but the 50 Democratic senators represent 41 million more people than the 50 Republican senators. Uh, because of the, the Senate's sort of unequal skew, uh, it leans to redder, whiter states. And that means that Black representation has been in many ways uh, reduced and silenced. Uh, and so this fight is is about more things than than democratic power. The Democrats don't always get it right either. And so this is this really isn't a fight for one party. This is a fight for all Americans.
0: So we had the hearing in the House. Uh, what happens next?
1: What happens next is that we we vote the bill out of the U.S. House, which we were successful in doing last year. Uh, and then the fight gets real. The the fight has to go to the Senate, which is going to be spirited since Democrats now have control of the US Senate. Uh, and we will be working to ensure that all 50 senators support it. Um, we're looking forward to to a fun couple months here.
0: But as you touched on earlier, um, with the filibuster, the procedural mechanism in the Senate, this would need 60 votes in the 100 seat chamber. So it would need 10 Republicans, which currently looks impossible. And therefore, a reform of the filibuster is probably required for for this actually to be to become real.
1: Yeah, that's right. So so the so fifty one votes would be uh, our goal. It it we're saying that Republicans have changed the rule uh, for Supreme Court justices. So for instance, then Majority Leader Mitch McConnell changed the rule from sixty votes to avoid the Senate filibuster to ensure that fifty one votes was enough to confirm supreme court justices we're asking for that same change to enfranchise the residents of washington dc instead of 60 votes 51 votes uh and and that's sort of been the core fight here the name of our campaign is 51 for 51 that's where our biggest fight is and and the filibuster is the largest hurdle quite frankly to to standing in the way of of dc statehood at the moment
0: and meanwhile i'm certainly receiving uh fundraising emails from Mitch McConnell, the Senate minority leader, saying this would give two more seats to the swamp. And uh, it seems Republicans are trying to weaponize it to to mobilize their own base. Yeah,
1: yeah, that's exactly right. And I would remind minority uh, leader McConnell that he sits, he has a seat in the swamp. And so while his, his residents in Kentucky have representation, those in Washington, D.C. do not.
0: Stasha Rhodes, campaign director for the 51 for 51 organisation. Thanks so much for talking to me for the podcast.
1: Thank you for having me, David.
0: That's all from us this week. I have thoroughly enjoyed stepping in for Jonathan Friedland, but we can't keep him away for too long. He'll be back behind the mic next Friday. For anyone wondering what's going on in Westminster and wider UK politics, make sure to listen back to Wednesday's episode of Politics Weekly, where Heather Stewart brings us the latest. You can find that in the same feed you found us. But for now, goodbye. The producer is Danielle Stevens, and I'm David Smith. Please stay safe, and thanks for listening. For more great podcasts from The Guardian, just go to theguardian.com/podcasts.